Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents... I didn't know. Maybe you didn't either, but the history of Black people ain't rooted in slavery. Oh no, it's royalty, not despair. Be dot here, and every day in February, I will give you a Black history fact that I didn't know. And maybe you didn't either. It's a rugged, ratchet, realistic look at history. Listen, so I didn't know, maybe you didn't either, on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or just wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO, and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. Is this Michelle Trachtenberg? I'll never tell. Hey, I'm Taylor Momsen, and I played Jenny Humphrey. Hi, I'm Sebastian Stan, and I played Carter Payson. That was one of the reasons I liked the character Jenny so much is that she was very relatable. The whole thing was such a joy for me to do. And I was just so thankful that people responded the way they did to what we were doing. This really was just like wonderful. I like have like warm feelings inside. Yeah, me too. I'm giving you air hugs. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org 
Brought to you by the Ad Council. I'm Ken Quapis. I am a director. I directed the pilot of The Office and many other episodes. Hello, listeners. It is another day. And that means it's time for another episode of The Office Deep Dive. As always, I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, I am being joined once again by our spectacular director, Ken Quapis, for round two of our conversation. And this time, we really dive straight into his search for the truth. Because that's what it was, right? The lengths he took to make sure that the show felt real, felt spontaneous, felt improvised, and that we as a cast felt like we really were a part of the Dunder Mifflin world. I am just in awe of him. That being said, I do want to get one thing straight. Ken, well, he expressed some doubts about my abilities in the basketball episode, season one, episode five, for those of you who don't know. He said, that I was so good and made so many shots in a row that it had to have been visual effects. Well, sir, first of all, I'm flattered because that's hilarious, but I hate to break it to you. I am just that good. But enough about me. I could talk about me all day. But since we're talking about skills, Ken truly has so many of them. We owe so much of The Office to his vision and his talent, and we were so lucky to have him on our team. Without further ado, get ready to be swept away into the wonderful, magical world of Ken Quapas. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning left over from the night before. Um, how do you feel? I mean, because you fully committed to the documentary concept. How do you feel like that influenced the storytelling? Well, I think there, I mean, there's a couple of things we did in the pilot and and pretty much carried throughout this the the series but one of them was is that the idea is that the camera is actually not always in the right place for the scene because as a documentary filmmaker I'm not sure what the scene is so that occasionally if uh we made a decision like if if Steve's character makes an entrance from his office that uh, the camera might be over near the water cooler, the last place you would really put the camera to catch a good... And then Steve would say something which would catch our attention. We'd have to whip pan over to find him. And and ideally, by the time we found him, he's finished saying whatever he had to say so that we end up landing on him for a bit of dead air. That, to me, was one of the key strategies in in how we, we shot. So the pilot, in particular, has these kind of wonderfully long, weird pauses... And part of that is due to the, you know, cinema verite style of shooting. When Greg and I held the production meeting for the pilot, and Greg and I had discussed this in advance, but I sort of announced to the people at the production meeting, which includes all the, you know, the, the, 
heads of the different departments, makeup, hair, camera, sound, etc., that things that in any other show would get them fired are encouraged in this show. So for instance, if you are a camera operator and you pan past the subject and then have to like sort of backtrack rather, you know, sloppily, that's acceptable. And actually not acceptable, it's good. So I think that all of those things, we, we've never talked about it, but hopefully what it did for the cast is make everyone feel like they were on all the time. You know, that wasn't my shot, your shot. It wasn't you know, like, you know, nobody knew when they might be the subject of the scene. Right. So. Well, and the other thing that you did, you know, traditionally you have marks on the floor that tell the actors where to go. And, and on the office, there were no marks. There were no marks. And there were also, <clears throat> in theory, there was no regard for whether you were actually facing the camera at certain times. You know, in a traditional, you know, multi-camera comedy, everyone is presented in a very, you know, frontal view. But suddenly in our pilot, we were able to do things like just kind of be, you know, long for long stretches on a profile or not quite see someone well. Right. So, I mean, I do think we, Greg and I were very specific about scenes that were more like, you know, spy camera scenes. And I'm right. thinking in the pilot particularly of, there's a wonderful scene towards the end uh, at the reception desk with Jim and Pam and Roy. Uh, and I think Pam actually leaves the reception desk and there's just this long, long moment where like Roy and Jim are just leaning. And then Jim finally says something really innocuous and Roy like bolts out of there. It's a very weird. Yes. And, and so that's a scene where those two characters are not aware that they're being filmed. And we sort of hid behind a bush, or not a bush, but like a plant. Plant, yeah. And, you know, I think that that was um, a good example of, particularly for a character like Jim, who's hyper aware of the camera, that we get to catch him without, you know, him being aware of it. And I think even at the beginning, as I recall, like Steve would have a look directly at the lens and then a look at me standing next to the camera and I'm going to have to like rack my brain now a little bit. I think the idea is if he looked to the camera, he was sort of, it was something he was doing as if playing to the camera. But yes. if he looked at me, it was because he wanted, he was worried that the camera caught something that he yes. didn't want to be seen. I, I, again, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. If no, that's but what I know was. what you mean. Yes. Well, I want to skip ahead because you just brought this up and kind of talk about probably the most famous spice shot scene in the series. I told Jenna, that nothing could shut down production like a big Jim and Pam moment. <laughs> like, it was like, if you were scheduled to work that day, and you were like, oh, Jim and Pam are going to kiss. Uh-oh, please shoot me out before because they're going to talk for a long time. Um, but talk to me a little bit about how that moment, what was that? My recollection was there was a lot of conversation about that and capturing that spy shot of them finally coming in and doing that kiss. Well, there was a lot of conversation. I think that John and Jenna had a lot of, uh, what's the right word? Well, they were anxious about the scene. You know, I spoke with Jenna about this about a year ago, and I went back and looked at the shooting schedule for that episode, Casino Night, because I misremembered something. I thought that we shot the kiss like at the very end of the schedule, but in fact, we didn't. We shot it... On the, I think the second last 
day of the schedule, the last day was the night work, the you know the exterior scene between Pam and Jim where they basically break up. It's the penultimate scene before yes. he comes back in and kisses her. So it was just interesting to me that for the two actors, they were playing the outcome before they played the scene. That, oh, interesting. And obviously they played both scenes well. But in terms of the camera placement, I definitely remember talking to Greg about, you know, we wanted to... A, be hidden, and we wanted to find the furthest place to be, and that was that, you know, there was a little glass partition, you know, kind of near where the water cooler is, and we just hid back there. To me, the most interesting thing about the moment is the fact that if you shoot a kiss, traditionally, you want to be able to see two faces. And I've, you know, directed a few kisses before. And you and there's always like you usually maybe you'll put people in a kind of 50-50 orientation to the camera. Right. Or you have separate shots. But this show, of course, that's not what we do. And I think it, it I, I don't remember if it was Greg's suggestion or if it if the actors came up with it or they, or maybe they just happened. But we don't see Jenna's reaction to the kiss. We see John. Right. And they kiss and they break and I think they look at each other for a beat and that's the end of the scene. But I think one of the things I've often thought about with that shot is as an audience, you get the pleasure of being Pam. You're being looked at by Jim. You you don't see her reaction. So you get to, as an audience, kind of write it yourself. And I think that shot, and it's, you know, very, it's very simple. But it, it, I think that's to me the 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 thing that's most noteworthy about it is 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 the 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 person who's surprised by the kiss you don't see their face right that's very interesting I it occurs to me too and this is probably more Greg I'll just side note that but sure you know the idea that because you guys were so concerned hey girlfriends it's me Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. About the reality and having it be in a real place, happening mm-hmm. at a real time. There was an insistence that around the time the episode aired was when this was happening. So if there weren't any episodes airing over the summer, mm. then the documentary crew was on vacation. And Mm. we didn't see that. Mm. And there was something so compelling in the storytelling going from that kiss where in Friends, right, Ross and Rachel kiss. And then when they come back, it's the moment immediately after they kiss. Right. Whereas this, when we come back again, Jim's gone. And so it's about finding out everything gradually over time, what happened and why he left and the fallout from the kiss. I just... You know what? It's great. I've never, and and yes, I mean, I think that's kudos to Greg and writing staff because I, I, what's nice about that is information is not served up to you. You have to kind of, you know, discover what's going on. Work for it too. You have to work for it. And I think it makes you a more attentive viewer. And I think it's more gratifying as an audience member. You're kind of thrown into the deep end. Wait, what's going on? Why is Jim, what what desk is this? Where is he? You know, Stanford, what? You know, like, it's like you, you get to kind of, you get to kind of uh, 
you know, do a little detective work as you're watching the episode. You know, one thing about that is it mimics what does happen in our lives. We work with people and then they go away. You know, they, they leave, they get another job, they get married. So I feel like, I mean, I think I've never talked to Greg about it, but I think he was constantly trying to make sure that, you know, there was, a, you know, a sense of the unexpected. It's a hard time for hiring. So you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go. Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure in pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. How do you feel like the directing the show changed as the show continued well i i mean i didn't 
work on every season. Sure. And you I took a long fact, break. I took a long break. And, and I will say that whatever season I was working in, I guess I felt like I just naturally circled back to those impulses that we had during the pilot. Mm-hmm. Not because I was trying to like, you know, make a point, like, let's remember what we did. <laughs> right. it, was, it was more right. like, that's all I knew what to do. Right. So that even though occasionally I would watch an episode and, you know, maybe it was covered in a slightly more conventional way than I might have. I think my instinct when I, you know, when I did direct was to try and um, just kind of respect the the original impulses and, and again, respect you know, Greg's original ideas too. Making things a little dirtier. A little or, bit, yeah. yeah. And, and and by the way, it's it's easy to forget those things. You go away, you work on a different show sure. or a different film that has a, a whole other style, and then you have to come back and unlearn some things. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely remember, I mean, along the way, like shooting the 100th episode, Company Picnic, and there was a lot of... Uh, it was actually a complicated episode for a lot of reasons, including, I would just say to all writers, <laughs> writer producers, don't write complicated dialogue scenes while people are playing volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing I learned doing this show, exactly. that's no it. volleyball while talking. <laughs> yes. the uh, But I remember just feeling like it, I had to kind of, again, unlearn things I was doing on different films and shows and kind of go back to kind of the show's roots. So I hope that that was a good thing for everyone to, you know, that, Oh, but you know, but that's, that was just my natural instinct was to kind of circle back to the beginning. Absolutely. Did you ever have conversations with other directors who are about to work on, who maybe hadn't been on the show yet? Did you remember talking to anybody or give offering any advice on that or? Well, Greg and I did when he, you know, Greg and I definitely did. The first episode Greg directed is one of the very best ones, you know, basketball. Yep. It's fantastic. But by the way, Brian, okay, so I, when I first saw the cut of basketball, I assumed that was a visual effect. No, that wasn't (laughs) a visual effect. Of you doing all, no, No. because how much, there's like six in a row, I think. Uh, There's 13 on the DVD, Ken. No, there is? Really? There were 13 in a row, yes. I literally, when I saw it, I go, how, what, how, I literally, my mind went to, how did they get the money for that effect? (laughs) (laughs) They hired me (laughs) really cheaply. Um, Yeah, no, that was me. It's fantastic. Um, No, before when you were talking also about, about having to re-remember things, you know, Kevin started to look into the lens quite a bit as the series mm-hmm. extended out. Um, when he had secrets, when he was uh, being childish about something, and I remember right when the show ended and starting to work on other shows and going, "Oh God, I can't look in the lens. What am I doing looking in the lens? <laughs> You're not allowed to do that on any other show. Come on, get it together." Um, so yes, I know what you mean. I definitely remember a feeling, um, what's the right way to put it? Like, you know, like the prodigal son or something. I'd been away and come back. And right. I, would I be accepted? Oh, <laughs> my gosh. It was, I truly, I always remember, I always remember how happy everyone was when you came back. Well, I'm, I'm glad. The, um, but yeah, no, I, I, it's funny. I was thinking about something I did in the, in the early episodes I don't know if other directors did it. I think it ended, but that, that was the idea that during our, you know, 
talking head interviews that I used to sit next to the camera. Yes. And I think that that was not something that other directors did as much or maybe not at all. I never talked to anyone about it, but I remember, uh, like coming back after a few seasons and definitely at the, at toward, you know, at the end too, that like, you know, Jenna thought it was strange suddenly that I was there sitting at the camera again because it had been a while since anyone yes. had done that. Yes. So. Well, it's, it's funny. I was always, I was of two minds because you're such an open person mm -hmm. and you, and I believe that the energy that you, you give out, you're creating an environment and you're wanting as the interviewer to just be present for the mm -hmm. actor who's talking. Mm -hmm. So for me, if there was someone there who was, you know, I'm picking up, you know, very concerned about the words or right. thinking mm -hmm. about something else and looking down, that wasn't helpful right. to have that. It was way easier for me to look at a mark than to look at somebody who was doing something that wasn't helpful to me. I know there were also occasions, especially with some of our writer directors, um, that could not stop laughing. Oh, and so right. it, was, it, was, it was way better <laughs> For them to get them in the aware. corner or in the other room um, than I, to be right there. I do remember at the beginning of the series that one of the things, and I'm not a writer. Well, I don't fancy myself a writer, but I remember tr hoping that we could actually have a conversation that would lead into the script. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Talking headline. Yes. And that was something, you know, we did on occasion. And again, I make no claim of being able to improv, but it was like, what could I set up that would kind of lead to the line? Yes. And that, that, you know, but I do think after a while that wasn't necessary, but it was a fun thing to do at the top of the series. Absolutely. I do remember, by the way, when you were talking about being trapped at work, I, now I remember something Greg and I discussed and that was where those interviews would be shot. Yes. So they're generally two places. And one angle, of course, is each actor sits with the glass facing the bullpen behind them. And the other place is with your back to the wall, the opposite wall. And I remember Greg very specifically saying he loved the idea that that frame would have a little sliver of the window in it, but just a little bit, because there's no reason to see that you could get out. Right. <laughs> and those are, and, and I remember that's you know, a lot of where John's, yes. John's shots are. Well, I think, and I had totally forgotten about this, that John's was toward the outside. Because he dreamt of getting out. Absolutely. That was absolutely part of, that was the subtext of, I mean, it wasn't his subtext, but that was Greg's idea that, you know, I love that, that there was an, there was something that objectively told the story of his hopes and his yes. dreams, you know. Whereas Kevin, most of the characters was shot so you could only see the bullpen, right, the office, exactly. because that's where they were going to be forever. <laughs> yes. No, I, I remember that. No, that's actually, and yet that angle on John only featured a little bit of that window. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How was 
shooting outside of the bullpen. I mean, we have these physical barriers that exist within the office. How was moving outside as as we started to, you know, especially after the first two seasons and going more to locations, mm-hmm. did that create more issues to keep the style and the look of the show the same or let me, I'll just speak about one episode and that's booze cruise because obviously we, sure. you know, we shot on a real boat out in, where were we? In Catalina? Long Beach. Long Beach. Yes. And, uh, one of the things I loved is, is, and, and I didn't choose the boat. Greg chose the boat, but the boat for me was like very claustrophobic. I felt like we were, it was like just Dunder Mifflin floating yes. in the water. I mean, I felt like everything about that space was very tight, constricted. It was hard to shoot in. It kind of, it again, it, it sort of recreated the conditions of the workplace on the water. Right. So in a funny way, I, I like the fact that, you know, sometimes we'd go on location and we'd basically be in the same kind of place. <laughs> right. Yes. We're on vacation for a fun night out and we're just actually in the office <laughs> again. Um, well, booze cruise, the 27 seconds of silence that happened between Jim and Pam, was that an organic moment? that happened? Did you have to fight for that time of silence? Or I don't know, just talk me through that a little bit, like the shooting of it and or the decision to allow it to stay in. I mean, the length of the silence was not something we planned, obviously, to the second. But I think, you know, John and Jenna both knew that, you know, there were no rules about pace. And so it was not objectionable to, you know, let the moment linger. I don't remember when we shot it feeling like, oh my God, this is it. We've broken the record for longest (laughs) moment of (laughs) Of not talking. Of course. But I do remember mostly that it was, uh, that it felt very truthful. It could have been half that length. It it didn't really matter. It, It was, you know, it just felt very truthful. And I turned in my cut and probably worked with Greg on the cut but it was Greg who ultimately, you know, fought to keep it in at that length. I only hope that by that point in the in the series, it wasn't that big a fight because it was clear what we were doing and what we were doing was compelling. For me, it's that classic thing of, you know, it, if you're involved, it doesn't, you don't feel that the time passing, you know, you're just, in, you're involved, you know, and, and, and for those two actors, Again, they were just so invested in that moment. I don't think they had a clue that they were, you know, stretching the limits of what's acceptable on a broadcast network television. (laughs) Right. Right. Maybe they were. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they were. Hi, I'm Glory Adam, host of Well Read Black Girl. Each week, I sit in close conversation with one of my favorite authors of color and share stories about how they found their voice, honed their craft, and navigated the publishing world and composed some of the most beautiful and meaningful words I've ever read. We journey together through the cultural moment where art, culture, and literature collide and pay homage to the women whose books we grew up reading. And of course, I check in with members of the Well-Read Black Girl Book Club. It's the literary kickback you never knew you needed. And you're all invited to join the club. So tell your friends to tell their friends so we can be friends who love books. 
Listen to Well Read Black Girl on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the creator of The Bright Sessions comes a new fiction podcast for all ages. Jump back to 1997 and follow Maxine Miles as she starts high school in the picturesque town of Hastings, New Hampshire. Fall is the season in which this small town shines. Apple cider, pumpkin patches, farmer's markets. It's idyllic for adults and boring for Max. But suddenly, Max's school year starts to look a bit more interesting when a fellow student vanishes. With the help of her misanthropic classmate, Ross, Max starts to look into the disappearance. Her investigation draws her deep into the dark woods around Hastings and even deeper into the secrets and lies that course through the veins of this sleepy town. This new YA mystery from writer-director Lauren Chippen is an audio drama with heart and wit that involves the audience in a way no fiction podcast ever has. Listen to Maxine Miles on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. So, Greg approached you about coming back for the finale, or he asked you, or how did that come about? He asked me to come back for the finale. It had been two or three seasons since I worked on the show, but I think Greg wanted to create a sense of coming full circle yes. and returning to the show's origins. And I also was a, a little daunted by the fact that, and this is a good thing, that so many of the characters, so many of the characters who began the series, you know, in secondary roles, everybody's role had grown and, and, and everybody had a complicated story to tell. And, uh, how are we going to do that? Well, it, it, it took longer than a normal show. That's for sure. It was right. like a feature length finale. <laughs> right. How involved were you leading up to the table read? You know, the table read became a very big deal. As you recall, with a humongous audience in this giant auditorium <laughs> on some location, I can't even remember where it was, but I, here's how I, <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> Here's what happened with the table reading is you know, I, I was used to reading the scene description. And so I just sort of casually said to Greg, would you like me to read the scene description? And he said, absolutely not. I thought, whoa, whoa, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I, I, I don't need to read it. <laughs> Little did I realize what he was planning. He was planning this sort of table reading extravaganza. <laughs> yes, yes. Had you read it before? Oh, yeah, I definitely. Because okay. I mean, none of us had. Really? No, oh we, I mean, we had the scripts delivered. I mean, if some people did, it was because they had a soft morning, you know, by, by later in the seasons, we were not, and it wasn't a product of them keeping it a secret. They just, they were working and right. we were shooting and then suddenly it would be table read day and there would be a, an episode in the, in, in this trailer. Well, I definitely, I had 
read the finale, and I was also part of the discussions about Steve's, you know, cameo appearance. Right. I guess he, I don't know if you could call it a cameo appearance, his return. Yes. And how we were planning to keep it a secret. It's still remarkable to me that it was kept a secret considering the fact that he, you know, his appearance in the finale is at a wedding where there were like, you know, a, a lot of people. people yes. <laughs> so I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me that it was kept secret, but it was, I will say that I was pestered by different news people and, uh, I honed my, you know, fibbing skills quite well. <laughs> well, I somehow knew the day before or a couple of days before I knew that it was coming. Why did you feel that was important for him to come back? Or did you? <laughs> well, I mean, aside from the, just, the, you know, the kind of excitement of getting the whole gang back together again. I mean, I feel like it, it sort of speaks a lot to Michael's character that he would show up for the wedding. Just emotionally, it felt like where Michael was. I mean, that Michael's evolution over the course of the series, it made perfect sense that he wasn't going to miss that. Absolutely. Why do you think that The Office has not just maintained, but why is the show more popular now than it was even when it aired? What is it about the show that you think, you know, that so many people respond to? Yeah. I wonder if all the renew, ah, let me think about that. I have a good, that's a good question. Oh, I have an answer. I, I feel like the continuing popularity of the show has a lot to do with the fact that most of us do work in really dreary jobs and feel trapped in the workplace. And I feel like in a funny way, the show really honors that experience. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I can speak very personally. My, you know, I have a brother who's younger than me who works at a store in our hometown. And when you go in, you know, behind the counter of the store, uh, are all the office bobbleheads, all of them. Wow. And I think in, in a weird way, it, it, it's less about the fact that I worked on the show and more about the fact that you know, working people connect with these characters. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think the office contributed to, or the culture sort of at the time and reality television started to become larger? And here we were doing a scripted television show to have it attempt uh, mm -hmm. to be done. I mean, Randall Einhorn and Matt Sohn were reality mm -hmm. TV mm -hmm. camera people. I don't know. I just, I, there's something interesting there to me about that reality TV started happening, you know, on mass at that mm -hmm. time. And here we were a scripted comedy show, right. Mm -hmm. uh, attempting to do the same thing. I don't know. I will say that a lot of people, you know, that I talked to about the show assume that it was improvised, right? And are, they're surprised when I say it was actually very carefully scripted, obviously scripted to sound, you know, off the cuff at times, but it, it wasn't a show like, uh, I imagine Curb Your Enthusiasm is that I've never worked on it, but I imagine it's mostly improvised yes. or Christopher Guest's films, which yes. are remarkable, but no, the office was the opposite. It was very, uh, and I hate the word formatted, so I won't use it, but it was a very well-crafted each week was a well-crafted script. So I feel like in a way it probably fooled people and it may have created a 
you know, it may have set an example that other people followed in the wrong way as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Because it was actually very much about, you know, it, there's a lot, so much good writing craft going on. Right. And uh, I think the fact that people were fooled into thinking it was spontaneous or improvised is a tribute to how well written it was. Written and directed. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, what are you most proud of about your contribution to the show or the show itself? I'm very proud of the fact that there were a lot of naysayers at the beginning. There are a lot of people who said, this will fail. And that it didn't fail. Actually, it, it succeeded, but it succeeded on its own terms. And that's what I'm proud of. That's so great. Put on your headphones for one second. Hey, will you play that clip? I thought it was weird when you picked us to make a documentary. But all in all, I think an ordinary paper company like Dunder Mifflin was a great subject for a documentary. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that kind of the point? Oh, yeah. That is the point. That's why it's continued to be popular. Okay, so. Well, I mean, that, I mean, to me, what that says is that's what Greg thought the point was. Yeah. And you know, what do you think? You think? Yeah. Beauty in the ordinary. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like the, the, um, you know, just as a director, it was such a pleasure and a privilege to kind of do something that didn't go down the middle of the road. And I think audiences respect that and, and love that about the show. I actually do remember a different ending to the finale. Okay. As I recall, the original ending was, uh, you know, the night before, or rather the night of the, sto the, the story, that all the characters decide they need to take the plant, planty. Planty. That's in the bullpen. That's been in the bullpen for nine seasons. Yes. That, like sad looking plant. And every, they, somebody, maybe, I don't know, is it Kevin? Somebody makes a suggestion that Planty needs to be liberated. Planty yes. needs to escape. And so everyone marches out of the office uh, with a, two or three of the characters carrying Planty and everyone's chanting, Planty, Planty. Yes. The entire ensemble then goes outside of the building in the parking lot in front of Dunder Mifflin's building and they plant Planty. And the original ending, as Greg and I discussed, was that, you know, everyone kind of wanders away. Everyone's been drinking and everyone's, you know, feeling a little sad, but, you know, festive. And we hold on this empty uh, parking lot with a, the plant, newly planted. The one that was in Dunder Mifflin is now outside. And as I recall, Greg's original plan was that there'd be a dissolve through to the next morning. And you just see the empty parking lot at dawn with this plant. In its new home. Fascinating. <laughs> I totally forgot that. Yeah, that's great. And um, I'm not surprised that Greg decided to end with Pam's drawing. I mean, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And and it yes, Pam's you know final speech about finding the beauty in the ordinary is certainly it could not be a better summation statement. But going back to the offbeatness of the show, I, I must say, I loved the idea of a show that ended 
with a shot of an empty parking lot and a plant. And a plant. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we, you know, I talked to Jenna some about it and, you know, I was saying to her, like, if the office was a, was a being, a person mm-hmm. or that Pam was clearly the heart of the show. Obviously she's, you know, has the love interest with Jim. Mm-hmm. Dwight describes her as his best friend mm-hmm. um, in the end. And, you know, she's the one that has the last moment with Michael when he's leaving. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that it it goes back to her. I do think she was the emotional heart of the show. Well, you know, I mean, I guess the, the only thing I'll, I would add to that is the show is a comedy, but within it is a romantic story. And the romantic story is not played for laughs. The romantic story is grounded and real and in a very, you know, old fashioned sense, this is a show with clowns and lovers. Yes. And and a, a different show is different. You know, a wonderful show like Friends, the romantic storylines are funny. Yes. But in the office, Pam and Jim we don't love them because of the laughs. We right. love them because of how you know grounded and real that relationship is. Well, and we couldn't because both Jenna and John aren't funny, so <laughs> we wouldn't be able. We wouldn't be able to. Thank I, goodness it I, wasn't written that. I way. didn't say that. I, <laughs> um, I just so appreciate you being here. Oh my gosh! I and mean, I and am so honored that you gave us any time. And I just want you to know, just watching things through again and just you as a person i love you and i just i want you to know how much i respect you and give you full credit for the world that was created on the office with greg well, i love you too and i miss you my gosh I it's know. been too long it's been so i'm just I so know. excited that you're doing this too and oh. i it was also it's so comfortable to talk to you about this good i felt like like oh let's just talk about yeah this let's stuff. just talk yeah, about so. exactly um Thank All you right. so much. Oh my gosh. Well, you heard it here, folks. Instead of talking about the beauty of ordinary things, I could have been talking about the beauty of plenty this whole time. And you know what? Maybe that's not such a bad idea. Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to me. I I so appreciate it. And to all of my listeners, you know this, I appreciate you as well. Make sure to tune in next week for another behind-the-scenes look at the show and a brand new interview with editor extraordinaire Dave Rogers. Oh, and don't forget, you can pre-order our very new and very exciting book welcome to dunder mifflin the ultimate oral history of the office on amazon right now trust me you are not going to want to miss it but in the meantime i just need you to do one thing have a fan freaking tastic week the office deep dive is hosted and executive produced by me Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producers for this episode are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song 
Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. It's Dua Lipa. I'm here to tell you about my brand new podcast, Dua Lipa at Your Service. I'll be sitting down with the world's most inspiring minds to uncover what makes them tick and what they've learned from the obstacles life has thrown at them, including Sir Elton John. After a lot of upsets, a lot of disappointments, a lot of betrayals, it's turned out to be the most wonderful life right now that I could have ever imagined. Listen to Dua Lipa at Your Service on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail normally assigned to him was called off? They are the ones who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. Chief Wallace, did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. And what were you told? Told that I had been threatened. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest 
to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 